This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack and 93.7 The Fan. Hey, don't forget to follow the podcast, would you? Inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, up in the upper right-hand corner, it says follow. It's that simple. You just tap on it. Bing! New episodes. You get notified when they're available. Uh, if you get it inside your Spotify or your Google or uh, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, follow, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Uh, leave a review if you wouldn't mind, preferably a, a quality one, uh, preferably a five-star review, maybe a rating, maybe just if you're feeling good about things, which you will after we talk to Andrew Destin of the Post-Gazette. He covers the Penguins, does a little bit of Pirates work for the PG as well. Uh He's a Penn State guy, so we are, um, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So please, for all of you, Pitt, West Virginia, Ohio State, whatever, wherever, whatever your alma mater is, I'm sure most of you hate Penn State. That's okay. We're used to it. Uh, for for you, Penn Staters, um, we're gonna have some fun at the end of this segment with Andrew because he's just a little bit younger than me. Uh, Andrew, when did you graduate from Penn State? Graduated last May, May 2022. Dear God. <laughs> so I'm 20 years older than you. Holy hell. All right. So I will quiz you in just a little bit on things that I remember from dear old state that I can almost guarantee weren't around by the time you were in your prime just a few short years ago. But let's talk about this hockey team. Speaking of not being in their prime, um, you were in Detroit for the game uh, Tuesday night, and it was ugly. And Casey DeSmith... <laughs> Look, I, I, I don't want to say it wasn't his fault because uh, it was <laughs> giving up the goals to David Perron in the third period were ugly, but here we go again with, okay, the team didn't play exceedingly well in front of him, but I guess well enough that if you have a quality goaltender, he pulls your fat out of the fire in those moments in the third period, right? He doesn't melt down the way he did in the third period against Washington, the way he did in the third period last night, it's like we get 30 or 40 decent minutes out of Casey DeSmith when he's in there, which just isn't good enough. But unfortunately, that's all they've got right now because Tristan Jari's still working his way back. Is it too much to, A, ask Casey DeSmith to make those saves on Perron in the third period? And then, B, is it too much to ask him to get back in there Thursday against Nashville and maybe even Saturday against the Bruins? 
Well, it's kind of a it's an interesting question because with Casey, from what I've been able to gather with him, is that when he's able to see the puck well, when he's on his game, he can be right up there with any goalie in the NHL. Truly, I mean, he's shown it before. He's had those you know excellent performances. The problem with him is that you know an undersized goalie is an undersized goalie, and you have to compensate with so much. And you look at some of the shots, the softies, like you were mentioning uh, with Eric. I mean, it, some of those are just ones that if you're a bigger body, if you're a bigger guy back there in net. You can overcompensate for not seeing the puck well or not moving as well, maybe on a particular night uh, as you are moving from post to post. Uh, Casey did not have that benefit last night, and it is put on full display when he's not on his A game. And that right there is the exact reason. I think yesterday's game was a perfect example of why Coach Mike Sullivan has said time and time again that we need to get Tristan back healthy and why this team has you know, made Tristan the number one guy for these number of years is because when he's on his game, you know, it's not close. You know, he can overcompensate yeah. for some of that stuff with Casey. And um, in terms of just relying on him on a consistent basis, you're asking a guy that's essentially playing, you know, uh, you know, to use a metaphor, playing with one arm tied behind his back playing tennis. You know, you can play for so long, you can rally, but eventually somebody's going to outmatch you, outphysicate you. And it seems like with Casey, the longer you put him out there, you're kind of increasing those odds of one of those kind of blow up performances. And for it to happen against Detroit, I'd be hard pressed to believe that inspires confidence against a 13th place team in the East. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's, I don't know how Mike Sullivan, and I don't know if you've got any insight on this or not, how Mike Sullivan will arrive at the decision on who to start in game one against Boston. It may just come down to Tristan Jari not being close enough to go at that point in time that they can't go with Jari. Right. Uh, I would imagine give him a couple more weeks. He should be back to hundred percent, but you know, I thought it laid out nicely. I said this to Eric earlier. I thought it laid out nicely that had they won in Detroit last night, DeSmith could have started Thursday against Nashville. Hope you get a W there, at least a quality game out of Casey. And then that sets up to give him a crack at Boston on Saturday and see how he responds to that test. Now, again, they may not have any option because of Jari's health that he has to go against Nashville and right. Boston. But I thought at the very least, it would be good to get him playing well and consistently well going into Boston on Saturday or into that game against the Boston Bruins, I should say, on Saturday at PPG. Uh, but now it's just it, it's a total crapshoot, it seems, with not just both of these goalies, but the team as a whole. Yeah, you got eight games to figure out exactly what you want to do. And like you said there, Chris, I mean, it would have made perfect sense to go with a plan like that. But right now here, if Tristan's healthy, you got to turn to him. You got to see what you have. You've got eight games. And I think this stretch, like you mentioned, where you got Nashville and then you got Boston, you throw Jari back in there for probably on Thursday. I got to believe that he gets the next one. I can't believe they'll put Casey in there after, you know, stopping 75% of the shots he faces. If Jari's, if Jari's good to go, he's in that. Um and then from there, you're pretty much getting your answer and going, well, if he's not up to snuff, then we have to ride with Casey. And you really don't have much of a choice, which, you know, feels dramatic to say, but there's not a lot of runway left. There's eight games, right. playoffs start in two weeks. Like, <laughs> you don't really have time to mess around with this stuff. And it's not like whatever injury that Tristan's dealing with, which Sullivan said is a new one, not a re-aggravated one. I mean, yeah, it, it feels like you just don't have time to hope for that to rehab itself. But he's dressed, so... What do I know? <laughs> well, it, it, it's just, it, it's crazy to me that we're talking about a team with this many veterans on it. And I talked about the leadership quotient with Eric Tangrady earlier, but just this much experience, physical experience on the ice, this many cup rings on the roster, and they've played 74 games and we still don't know what they are. So I don't suspect, and I think a lot of us, myself included probably as fans, 
need to just come to a reckoning that we're not going to know what they are before game one of the playoffs, regardless of whether it's against Boston or Carolina or New Jersey, whoever it may be, we have no idea what we're going to get come game one. Yeah, and the only conclusions that you really can draw between now and then is that this is a team that has, you know, banged up defensemen in front of it. The ones that are healthy are not the ones that you would call your prime guys besides maybe Latang playing the way he has this season. I mean, the loss of Marcus Pedersen has been devastating for the defense. They were able to weather it for a little bit there, but, I mean, you look at the game yesterday, having Mark Friedman out there in the first period, two penalties, one of them directly leads to a power play goal. The penalty kill continues to struggle. The power play got two goals yesterday, but, I mean, that's wildly benefiting from a five-on-three for the Pens. So special teams, defense, uh, kind of important things come playoff time. And I <laughs> have to believe that that will come back to bite them come game one against Boston, if they even get there, which is right. not a certainty which, right now. Which is not guaranteed. You're right. And I'm glad you brought up the physical fragility of this team right now because, look, I, you are learning right now at the foot of the great Matt Vensel, right? You two are double teaming this Penguins beat. Yep. And you mentioned it a little a couple minutes ago. You're fresh out of Penn State. Um, you know, it feels like you were just walking the halls of Carnegie or maybe Schwab Auditorium or Beaver Stadium. The, the Daily Collegian looks at you and says, Andrew, show us how it's done. And you're learning from Vensel. This is how it's done. Vensel is one of the most measured men on the planet. One of the most journalistically in, integri, integri, in, integral, yeah. integral. Thank yeah. you. That's the word I'm looking. This is why. This is why I met Vensel. Yeah. This is why you succeeded at the Collegian when I did not. <laughs> um, so this, it, my point is, if I asked him this question, I know exactly what he'd tell me. And politically correct is a bad term to use. People look at it in a bad way, but Matt would give me the politically correct journalistic answer. I'm going to ask you. You're around them every day or most days. Is this team acting like a mentally or psychologically fragile team? I've heard Josh Yowie ask Sidney Crosby about that earlier this year, and he kind of he didn't dance around the answer. He answered it pretty directly and, and said he didn't think so. But when you see them blow another opportunity like they had in Detroit Tuesday night, again, you're around them a good bit. Are they acting like a forget physically fragile? You outlined that, especially on the blue line. Are they acting like a mentally and psychologically fragile team? No, I would say I, I kind of side with Josh on that one because I think that the it's more so a frustration that continues to mount, but it hasn't boiled over in any way that's unprofessional. Um, you know, when you go inside the dressing room, it's guys who are frustrated with their own individual performances, but nobody is at any point, A, throwing people under the bus, um, B, lashing out in any regard, which maybe we're not privy to because we're getting into the dressing room a couple minutes after. Um, but from a professionalism standpoint, I haven't noticed anything that would be of the contrary. It's a team that is wildly upset with its performances, but not in a way that is, uh, I guess, showing fragility. Because I think there's still that underlying confidence of, we've done this 16 years in a row. We've made the playoffs every year since Sid was a rookie. Um, you know, I, I don't think that true, true panic has set in. And it really hasn't at any point this season, which to me, I mean, as an outsider, just coming in as the first year on the beat, has been surprising at times. Um, but it's definitely been, a, you know, a cool, quiet confidence that when the highs are high, they show it. But it's not mm -hmm. to a way that's overbearing because it seems like, you know, they've been there, done that. Don't let the highs get too high. Don't let the lows get too low. 
Well, well, let me ask you this, because I, I came to the conclusion that I think their head coach may see a little mental fragility there uh, probably like a week and a half ago. Maybe it was the loss to Ottawa. Maybe it was the loss to Montreal. A lot of them have stacked up recently that have been disappointing. Right. Um, and he does. He almost never calls this team out. He just says, hey, total team effort. You know, it's standard Mike Sullivan lines. Yep. And my feeling is that if – and I think Mike Sullivan's fairly secure in his job. Even if they miss the playoffs, I don't think Mike Sullivan's going anywhere. I think Sidney Crosby wants him in his role. Sidney Crosby, let's be honest, is probably the most powerful person down on Fifth Avenue outside of anybody that works directly for Fenway Sports Group. Um, he may even be more powerful than some of those people inside this organization. So if Sid wants Mike Sullivan to stay, Mike Sullivan's going to stay. All that being said... If anybody wanted to call out this team, much the way Rick Bonus called out the Jets after their loss to the Sharks on Tuesday night. I don't know Great if you game. got to hear that. Um, I was watching all the way. Big yeah. Sharks fan over here. Oh, that's true. From the <laughs> Bay Area, right? Um, so if if Mike Sullivan called out his team the way Rick Bonus called out the Jets, who are in a very similar situation, eighth place in the Western Conference, struggling to hold on to that spot. They can feel it slip sliding away. They can feel like maybe the core gets busted up after this year if they don't get into the playoffs. If Bonus can do that, why can't Mike Sullivan do that? Yeah, it's an interesting question because the logical answer for me would be, you know, of course, go at it. But I think there's, mm -hmm. I think there comes some runway with Stanley Cup uh, championships. I think that's part of it is when you've actually experienced success. And that's not to put down the Winnipeg Jets franchise, but I mean, there's a reason they moved from Atlanta. There's a reason that they are where they are. It's franchise that hasn't had a lot of success since it came in as an expansion one and I think there's something to be said about that when the top guys especially are the ones that are succeeding at the level that they are right I think you know you and I would agree that you know Crosby is still exceeding expectations at this level in his career Malkin is still playing excellent hockey Latang for the most part given everything that's happened this season those are the guys that if you were going to dish out criticism to anybody Right. It would be your lead guys because they're the ones who can handle it. They're being paid as such, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But it, fe it feels trivial to pin it on the guys who are either, you know, on those minimum contracts, the guys who are on two ways. And those are the ones who are really deserving of the blame, in addition right. to, you know, whoever's between the pipes. Um, so I, I think that's maybe why you haven't seen it is just because the logical faces who could absolve that kind of blame and be the ones who, can take it from Sullivan and then be on the receiving end of it in the dressing room. They're maybe not the guys who are deserving of it. It's more so in other regards. And so, you know, to maybe your more veteran guys like a Jeff Carter, who's not in the dressing room. And at his point to his uh, credit, given what he did in Los Angeles, that's another reason why he's maybe earned that is just, it's different with a veteran laden group the way that it is there. I'd say. Andrew, let me ask you this. Uh, we saw Ricard Raquel a couple times in the last, I want to say week and a half, two weeks, get some time on the third line. And, and it wasn't necessarily a demotion. It was more like a promotion for the guys on the third line, right? They got an opportunity to play with Raquel, who's been huge for this team this year. I would argue Ricard Raquel and Jason Zucker, without those two, I don't know where they'd be. Um, but it was only, I want to say, about two minutes, two minutes of even strength time that Raquel played with Paling and Heinen, a trio that looked really good against the Caps on Saturday night, I thought. Mm -hmm. And then Mike Sullivan who was even asked about it pregame by Dan Potash from AT&T and intimated that he was going to continue with that rotation, got away from it very quickly. We've seen him very quickly over the years go back to the comfortable line combinations, even when things aren't going well with those combinations. You know, last night, 
Gensel Crosby Rust didn't exactly bathe themselves in glory. All the puck possession metrics show that they got outplayed. Same could be said for Zucker, Malkin, and Raquel when those three were together. And yet here we are watching Heinen and Paling with Granlund instead. Um, do you get the sense that Mike Sullivan is ready to juggle the lines as much as he may have to to get the sparks necessary come playoff time? You know, if he's four minutes in, two shifts each line into game one against the Bruins, and they're getting dominated, is he going to be willing to pull that trigger and start shuffling things around, or is he going to wait until game two? No, I think he's going to be pretty quick with the trigger. And I, I bring that up just because in New York, I think it was either after the first Rangers game on the off-day practice, or it might have been pregame before one of the Rangers games. But he had mentioned how, because he, he was discussing when Alex Nylander was inserted into the lineup, um, how he was shuffling that up and had Raquel back down on the third line and had bumped up Nylander, I think it was, to the second unit um, when mm -hmm. Heinen was a healthy scratch. And it was the similar idea was that, you know, he's willing to move these guys around and it's all because you're either stacking that top six or you're trying to balance it out and spread it. And when it becomes playoff time, you know, I'm curious what the strategy is there from him because you, you said it best. I mean, Raquel and Zucker have been two huge guys this year. And personally, I have my preference would be to move Raquel down to that third unit because I don't think Grandland is that guy who can provide a spark for the third line that makes it adequate or makes it, you know, usable enough that you can deploy it for 15 minutes come playoff right. time. Right. So I, I think we're going to see that quick trigger because the value of a guy like Raquel, the value of these guys, um, you know, you have to be able to move them down and generate any kind of spark because if it's just your top six, that's not going to be enough to get it done against the Bruins team that I mean, we all know how good they are defensively. What did Alex Nylander do, by the way? Did he like take draw cartoons of Ron Hextall and Mike Sullivan with the evil curly mustaches on them and post them all over PPG Paints Arena or uh, at the Lemieux Complex. The guy can't stay in the... I, now, I know there were cap concerns earlier and he was called up due to injuries and emergency recall a couple of times, but now, if ever there is a time to get him back in the lineup, now is that time. You talk about moving Raquel to the third line and maybe Granlin plays down on the fourth line with Carter and you get Nylander playing with Zucker and Malkin. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I wouldn't even mind seeing him on the top line with Gensel and Crosby and slide Rust back down with Malkin or down to the third line. There's a million different combinations on that right side, but Nylander, I think, is a big key to unlocking a lot for Mike Sullivan. They just don't seem ready to do it. Yeah, the same way that Matt's a big fan of Teddy Bluger. I'm a huge proponent of uh, Alex Nylander. I mean, I chatted with him in Wilkes-Barre end of January, and, you know, I've always been impressed by his game and think that there's a lot there for him to unlock. And like the little cup of coffee we saw from him when he was with Malkin and Zucker, I mean, had nothing really to show in terms of goals, but generated chances, showed mm -hmm. an offensive prowess, and would have liked to see him get a little bit more runway there. But I think uh, the reason maybe we're not seeing him, uh, you know, I think it might have to deal with the fact that, you know, more of a younger guy versus a Danton Heinen, who's a little bit more veteran as we get closer to playoff time. That's probably why this is happening. Maybe not a decision that I particularly agree with, but if there was any logic behind it, I think that would be it is that playoff time, maybe Nylander isn't as trustworthy of a guy, um, you know, hard on pucks as maybe Heinen would be, which, uh, you know, I can't point to any concrete evidence that would prove that, but that's just speculation. All right. Before I let you run, Andrew, we mentioned at the top, you are a 2022 graduate of dear old state, Penn State University. I am a, swallows hard, 2002 graduate of dear old state, Penn State University. Um, and so I'm going to throw some items at you from State College that I remember dearly. 
and you you have one job. Tell me if you have any idea what I'm talking about with each of these things and if they still exist. I went up 2021 for homecoming. Took the kids, went to that awful five-overtime game against Illinois, stood oh. out in the cold drizzle for uh, six hours or whatever it was while that game that game was interminably long, but had a great time because we ate at the corner room, walked outside and saw the parade, and the kids had a great time. Anyway, um, I'm going to list some things. You tell me if these register with your Penn State brain at all or they're just things that Chris remembers from being old in State College 20 years ago. You ready? I'll preface with saying both my parents went to Penn State, so might, okay. might have an advantage here. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. okay. <laughs> well, let's let's start with $2 amber box at the sports calf. Ooh, can't say it, no. Oh, man, that was my spot. One of my roommates was a bar back and bouncer there. Spent my 21st birthday there, I think. Um, okay, um, <laughs> the old creamery at the corner of Curtin and Shortledge. Yes, now changed into a new building. Can't remember the name of it, but that's... The Berkey uh, Creamery now, yeah. Yeah, Berkey Creamery a now. Locked down. Yeah, moved it over to East Halls, and the old spot is just south of North Halls, right across there is where the old yes. spot was. Well, yeah. see, as a freshman, somehow, I don't know why, I got sent off to North Halls. I didn't oh. get to hang out with all the other freshmen in East, and so the Creamery was right there, and the freshman 15, bang, <laughs> I think happened in like a month. Um, cause I was always there. Um, and now it's down where like the tennis courts used to be. I took tennis one summer as a class. I don't know how I got away with that. It was a credit credit and a half of gloriousness. Uh, right. I met a girl named Donna. She was awesome. Uh, we went out on some air quote dates. Hopefully my wife doesn't watch this episode of the podcast anyway. All right. I'll move on to the next item, Andrew downtown Chili's on Allen street. Oh, that is now uh champs that yes. Chili's has become champs. Yes. Uh, but margar- margaritas and the big mugs, and bottomless chips back in the day, man. Oh. It, was a, it was a decent, decently priced place to take a date and feel somewhat fancy. Right. Um, all right. Um, the Willard Preacher. Oh, still around. Still there. Still man- meanders around those halls right in front, red hoodie and everything. Still has the red hoodie. That's amazing. <laughs> all right. Um, Ye Old College Diner. Grilled stickies at Ye Old College Diner. Uh, no longer exists, but every time I fly home back to California, I bring a sticky with me. They still sell them. Got to bring them back for mom and dad. Yeah, that's a good call. Look, Pittsburgh people love grilled stickies from Eaton Park and they're good. They're not quite the same. Just a little different at ye old college diner. All right. Um, the G man, gingerbread man, uh, now where Primanis is. I know. Never been to either, though. Never did the Primanis in State College. I was like, it's too far from Pittsburgh. It can't be authentic. That's, you know, I have found, don't tell the people at Primanis this, because I tweeted this one time and they got mad at me. When you get outside of Western PA, the bread is not the same. It's not Mancini's. So it's like somebody took a picture of their Primanis in Indianapolis once and sent it to me. And it just looked like two slices of Wonder Bread with all the same stuff in the middle, but it just, the bread wasn't right. Okay. Um... Let's see. What, oh, okay. No 322 bypass or I-99. Ooh, that's a new one to me. Didn't know that one. That was a thing, my friend. You would get stuck behind a tractor trailer on 22, going up and down those hills out there in Indiana County and Cambria County, and you had no hope. That's why it always took at least three hours. All right, unless you drove in the middle of the night. Um, old man story time now. All right, Andrew, just a couple more for you. Uh, the crowbar. No, nothing. No. Uh, it was right down on college, past McClanahan's. 
Uh, if you're going out towards the stadium, about a block past McClanahan's, live bands would come through all the time. I saw another another old man. God, I am dating myself so much. I saw Days of the New at which 90s grunge rock band. You can look it up later and be disgusted by the fact that I paid money to go to the show. But I, I saw Days of the New at Crowbar once down on College Ave. Okay, uh, just a couple more. Acme Pizza. No, nothing. Okay. Acme was the original, I say original for a kid from the 90s, the original 2 a.m. drunk stumbling on my way home down Beaver Ave across from Cedar Brook pizza spot. It's now Canyon Pizza, or it was Canyon Pizza for a yep. long time, um, where I once got Bad Ranch and felt it for the next 24 hours. Ooh. But it used to be Acme Pizza back in the day. It was just a window. You would walk up to it. You'd hand them $2, you'd get a slice, and you'd just stand there, and the grease would drip down your chin while people yelled at you from the balconies at Cedar Brook. It was, it was lovely. Well, and, that part uh, hasn't changed with the balconies. <laughs> Albeit, new, new pizza establishment, obviously much different, yeah. but the concept remains. The pinnacle of, of my experience on the Cedar Brook balconies was one summer, was it summer or arts fest? I can't remember. But there was a riot uh, on Beaver Ave, uh, and they had to bring in the mounted police, uh, and they started firing pepper spray on people. And we were having a party on like the eighth floor of Cedar Brook. And we didn't realize they'd, they'd fired pepper spray on people until we started to smell it. We had to run inside and close the balcony door. So <sighs> state college stories, Andrew, yeah, I, I feel bad. You may not have gotten the full experience, my friend. Yeah, had a heck of a one out there, but COVID did rob me of a full year. So that's you definitely true. got me beat on the Penn State experience. You, that's right. You guys did not get to experience. Oh, man, that's rough. I, well, I didn't even have a 21st birthday in State College right in the middle oh of COVID. Oh, my God, Andrew. Wait, you know what? You will have to – we will have to get you back up there sometime. We will have to convene everybody and get you a, a, a 21st birthday State College style, just stumbling down Beaver in, into – have they brought the Skeller back yet? They need to do that. We'll, we'll stumble into the Skeller and get you some pony bottles and, and tr do it upright. They do have the ponies now. New name uh, called Doggy's Pub, but it's like okay. the exact same thing, outdoor and everything. It's awesome. That was my spot in college. Okay, nice. All right, so sometimes things change. Sometimes they stay the same, and they just, well, change the name. Andrew, seriously, it was fun ta uh, talking to you about, well, obviously old Penn State stuff, but fun talking to you about where this team is right now. We'll see where it goes over the next eight games and whether they actually force their way into the playoffs or not, and if they do, how far they go. But you're doing a great job covering the team. We appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Chris. Pleasure's mine. Great stuff from Andrew. Uh, he gets a little bit extra love because he's a Penn State guy. I only lasted a semester at the Daily Collegian, by the way. He's like a proud Daily Collegiate alum, Collegian alum. Uh, that's the newspaper at Penn State. They made me go cover... Uh, a women's tennis match that took six hours and write a story about running shoes. I had to go to the local shoe store and do research. And that's when I decided newspaper wasn't for me. Print journalism wasn't for your old buddy Mackie. And that's when I went to the radio station. And here I am now. Anyway, thanks again to Andrew. Thanks to Eric Tangrady. Uh, Friday, we will have another new episode up. And in addition to Tango hopping back on for a couple minutes, Ray Ferraro of ESPN as the Pens do play the Bruins this weekend uh, on ESPN and ABC. So uh, we'll talk to Chicken Farm on Friday uh, about what he thinks of this team down the stretch run. They will have played the Predators between now and then uh, and hopefully gotten themselves a win because if they don't, they are in big trouble 
and uh, it it was it, it was this close this close to putting themselves in a good spot. But again, like we talked about earlier with Eric, you can't even use the word opportunity with this team anymore. You have an opportunity though. Segway, follow Fifth Avenue Faceoff inside your Odyssey app, just up in the upper right hand corner. Just just bing tap. Uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, down below here. There are options to subscribe. You'll get all the wonderful video content from 93.7 The Fan, uh, including new episodes of Fifth Avenue Face-Off. How about that? Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Play, uh, wherever, subscribe, leave a rating, preferably a positive one, and a flowery review. You could even write something. I'll give it to you. Are you ready? Chris Mack is so handsome and intelligent. I really appreciate his insight on the Penguins. Bang. Done. And I don't know that you're lying. It, it, it'll be fine. Anyway, uh, subscribe, rate, review, uh, and hang with us uh, through what may be the final two weeks of the season for the Penguins. Who knows? Uh, or maybe just the precursor to getting swept by the Bruins. We'll find out soon enough. Because uh, you can't predict anything with this team. What you can't predict, again, another new episode on Friday of Fifth Avenue Faceoff.